So this morning, we have a guest with us, and I'm delighted to welcome today uh, our brother, David Chow. He is a local pastor here in Vancouver. He has been serving ministry for 20 years, which is an amazing, an amazing record. Yeah, there's, there's, there's woohoo's going on in the room here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about David, um, and this is his bio uh, that he has shared with us as well, and we've invited him in part because we're sort of a Baptist a church leaning into what does it mean to be a Jesus-centered sort of third way of being Christian, uh, Jesus-y, Anabaptist, Baptist sort of thing, and, and that's part of his background. Uh, David is passionate about intercultural congregation and community where he is a pastor here, which is Killarney Park MB Church here in Vancouver. He's a fourth-generation Westerner. Uh, David previously trained as a secondary French teacher uh, I don't think he's preaching in French this morning, sorry. Uh, he worked with the MB Mission uh, group in Japan with his spouse, Charlene, for two years, and he loves crossing uh, many cultures and cultural barriers as well. He's a consummate reader. Uh, David also loves following his wife on crazy adventures, playing in the outdoors with his four amazing children, and listening to music of all flavors. He's been at Killarney Park since 2002. Previously, he was an associate pastor of youth and associate pastor of community development, and he's loving ministry, serving as a lead pastor. And so I'm delighted this morning to welcome David. He's been a friend to me as I've gotten to know Vancouver, and finding some of those uh, like-minded brothers and sisters in the faith is always a precious gift. So would you join with me this morning as we welcome our brother David Chow? Thanks, Shell. Thanks, Pilgrim Church, for having me this morning. I'll also extend greetings to you from our saints at Clarny Park Mennonite Brethren Church. It's on the corner of Kerr Street and East 48th Avenue. It's good to be with neighbors, fellow sojourners in the way of Jesus Christ. I've been asked to share just briefly about the core of the Jesus-centered third way of being a Christ follower and what that means in my experience and why I have stayed on that path. As part of the Mennonite Brethren, I would say that we are like to be known as people of the book. The scriptures are a foundation of our faith, and so let me share with you uh, a very short passage of scripture that may be helpful for us this morning. It's taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, which says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So what is the core of the Jesus-centered third way, being a Christ follower, in my experience, and why have I stayed on that path? The very short answer can be found in verse 1, Jesus Christ, very simply put. Jesus is at the center. And so when we say the word is authoritative, I think what we're meaning is, yes, he is. And his name is Jesus Christ. He was with God in the beginning and is God, as the Gospel of John says in chapter 1. And so when we think about things from a theological standpoint, or when we talk about spirituality, what we're actually talking about is Jesus being at the foundational core of everything. I've chosen to identify with and follow an Anabaptist, radical, reformist understanding of theology. This means that the person of Jesus is the lens from which I approach the Holy Bible. He is how I interpret the Christian scriptures, and he is the model who I walk my life after. 
the question I have for us to think about is, what do we mean by third way? In our day and age of uh, politics and life, we have become ever more polarized by the right and the left, the conservatives or the fundamentalists, and the liberals or progressives. These political terms have not served the body of Christ very well at all. In our age of politics, how we talk about living as a community, as a society, in our dialogues, in our debates, indeed our conversations, they have ceased to be places of discourse, a place of sharing of ideas. And instead, uh, it has increasingly become divisive and adversarial, resulting in polarized camps which really fight for power. Power to make choices, power to be heard, power to be seen. This may be helpful in a government that requires checks and balances. But it runs the risk of polarizing a community, indeed a nation, much like what we're seeing being played out these days. Now, let's just transfer that to the church, the body of Christ, the beautiful bride. Instead of recognizing that we are all related by virtue of being part of the universal body of Christ worldwide, we have factions or camps representing different views and theologies and politics, and quite frankly, the result is a fracturing of relationship rather than a unification or a building up of a relationship. So instead of a sharing of ideas that can grow us to be better, we are digging in, so to speak, for a fight debate instead of an exchange of ideas kind of discourse. In other words, instead of recognizing healthy tensions, we have instead polarized and we have become separate camps. We need to learn how to disagree with one another again, and yet not demonize the other, or regard the other as an enemy only because we don't think exactly the same way that the other does. The Third Way movement believes in holding biblically-based views while understanding that acceptance and agreement are two very different things. We want to love each other as brothers and sisters, despite what we believe is the center of our faith and how we articulate that in the way that we live and how we share that with others, with our neighbors. The Third Way Movement wants to create safe places for Jesus followers to link arms as we develop and live out intentional practices of dialogue and interaction and inclusion. In other words, we want to live with all the complexity that diversity actually brings. And it brings messiness to the Jesus-centered community. There is tension, but hopefully there is a healthy one that teaches us to see one another in, its best, in each other's best light and assumes the best of one another rather than see the other with an opposing view as seeing the other as if they were an enemy. Take, for example, the family of faith that I am a part of. As a member of the Mennonite Brethren Church, I identify as an evangelical Anabaptist. And this means that as an evangelical, we believe in the importance of a saving faith in Christ Jesus. We believe that transformation life in Jesus is the gospel. It is good news. And the message that needs to be both lived out and proclaimed is proclaimed by our lives and how we do things and how we treat others and how we speak. Now couple that with our radical Reformation faith heritage that believes that we are saved by faith in Christ alone 
and by the need for a separation of church and state. And Jesus calls us to live as he had originally intended, in community, because we need one another. And with nonviolence, reconciliation at the center of that community life. Now that's complex, and it's sometimes very complicated. At its best, there is a healthy tension. Our evangelicalism reminds us of the importance of sharing the gospel with others. Our anabaptism reminds us to share all that we have with others. John 1, verses 2 to 3, talks about Jesus being with God in the beginning, and that all things were made through Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. At the heart of God is a relationship. There's community. Jesus calls us not only to love God with all of who we are and what we are, but to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that's a call to community. And if Jesus is at the center of this kind of life, that means we also need to live with reconciliation, always being at the very center of our faith as well. If we live following his footsteps, we will be challenged to live a reconciling life the way that he did. How transformational can that be? Both individually and communally, imagine forgiving each other 77 times 7. In other words, constantly forgiving one another in every moment of everyday practice, 24-7. What a challenge for us. So let me sum up very briefly what Jesus-centered third-way faith is to me. Our faith is centered on Jesus the Christ, the one who fulfilled the law, the one who has come to seek and save the lost, Emmanuel, God, with us. He is my hermeneutic. He is the way that I interpret the scriptures and the way that I live life. The church is called out to be the assembled people of God. We are God's chosen ones. We are intended to live in community. For this reason, because we are humans, all being transformed into a deeper likeness of Jesus Christ, we need to live lives filled with reconciliation. But with God, reconciliation doesn't, doesn't mean it's a vertical relationship. It also means reconciliation within ourselves. It also means reconciliation horizontally with our neighbors and also with all of creation. Why have I stayed on that path? I love our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we articulated that belief through the Nicene Creed this morning. What a beautiful way to both declare and proclaim who we are as the Bride of Christ. I love that Jesus is the best representative that we have of who God is in the Scriptures. I want to live into his call for my life. I aspire to live up to what and who God has called me to be, which is a Christ follower, part of his elect. And that doesn't mean that we're only just a child of Christ, although that is an amazing thing. It means that we're also an heir to all that God has in store for his children within his kingdom. These treasures are not only for later, but also for now. We can live in right relationship with one another right now. We don't have to wait for life after death or the new heaven and the new earth. We get to be active participants of kingdom building and kingdom living today. So friends, this allows me to live in the way that I understand God's design actually works. It allows me to flourish. I desire to live in harmony with everything around me, and that includes living in harmony within my own self. 
I want to live a full life the way that God intended. Not in fear, as we've sung this morning, but in love. And living this way as anything worth doing or living for or having takes a great deal of faith, hope, and love. Friends, I found my people in my tribe. That happens to be the Mennonite Brethren clan. It's good to be with family uh, that goes far deeper than biology. Friends, thank you for having me today. I welcome questions at this time. And I'm trusting that Shell's going to help moderate that. Thank you very much for being with us this morning. Sorry, social distancing. Okay. Are we still on camera here? <laughs> yes, we are. Okay. So I'm going to invite uh, David to uh, join me. We're, uh, we've got our tables apart, two meters. We're, uh, we're here gathering to do uh, receive questions from Stand you. Here. And so um, here at Pilgrim Church, we're part of the North American Baptist Conference, and we're also wrestling with uh, having an affiliation with a sort of a trans-denominational movement called the Jesus Collective, uh, which is a mix of different people, Baptist, Anabaptist, Pentecostal, other different churches uh, who are still part of their larger family, but identifying more with this Jesus third way. And so that's one reason why we had David come here this morning to share, to talk a little bit about that third way. What does that look like? And so we're going to uh, get some questions at this time. And uh, they will be on the screen here in front of us. And uh, hopefully you're sending them in. You can email them and you can uh, text them in as well. Or you can use the live chat box right there on YouTube. And I think on Facebook as well. And so we have a couple questions in this morning. And again, I do want to say thank you, David, for sharing this morning. And it's, we've, we've brought in guests in the past when we were doing our normal gathering. And then every once in a while we'd bring them back either for just a Q&A Sunday or we'd do a potluck afterwards and do a Q&A uh, sort of in our gathering hall below with our guests. And so today we're trying to squish it together. And thank you for being the guinea pig this morning as no well. Problem. I do appreciate that. I'm looking forward um, to the potluck sometime after this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The food is great. We have, we have food coming from everywhere. It's awesome. Uh, you're, you're, now you're making me miss that. Thank you for saying that. Anybody else hungry? Beauty so, of community. We have a question. I, if they could put it on the screen, that would be great. So I'm going to read the question. Can the people at home see that, or am I on camera again? They can see both. Okay, great. Uh, I won't try to reposition furniture this time. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Holy Spirit? Why do different churches have different interpretations or understanding of Him? Um, so that question about the Holy Spirit... Um, I'm just going to kick it to you, and sure. I may chime in here and there, but since you're our guest, we're going to make yeah. you do the work. So, Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Appreciate the question, and thank you for uh, sending those questions in. I'll interact with them as fully as possible. What are my thoughts on the Holy Spirit? Well, he is uh, definitely, uh, as we said in the Nicene Creed, one of the, the three uh, that is part of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we believe in a triune God. He is uh, one of the persons and uh, intrinsic to everything that we believe in uh, of who God is. So, in short, he is God. Now, why do we, different churches have different interpretations and understanding of him? Well, I think it depends on how we understand who God is. Um, sometimes we make God to look a little bit more like who we are. And so some of us have very charismatic in the sense of uh, very excitable personalities, and we experience God in those different dynamics as well. And so uh, we are more open to hearing from God in those ways. And so I think there are some traditions that have allowed for some of those things to be expressed in very healthy ways. 
Um, coming from the Christian Missionary Alliance background, uh, we also believed in the Holy Spirit, but that wasn't the primary focus. Uh, and I think uh, that came into tension with some of our brothers and sisters who came from Pentecostal backgrounds or more charismatic and full gospel backgrounds who uh, understood their gifting to be expressed in different ways. And so uh, not everyone in the Christian Missionary Alliance would say that they speak in tongues. But some of our friends uh, coming from the full gospel churches uh, said that they had giftings. And interestingly enough, uh, not everyone in the Pentecostal assemblies would say that they have the gift of tongues. So the, the Holy Spirit uh, in, uh, tools his church in many different ways for the time and the, the people and the context that they're in and gifts them appropriately. He gives the church all that it needs to serve in the time and the place that it's uh, required. All right. Thank you very much. I feel like there needs to be ferns on this stage, I'm just saying. But um, <laughs> anyway, let's uh, go to the next question. What is the next question here? What are some practical ways to be peacemakers in an increasingly violent world? That, that is a very good question. And whoever sent that in obviously uh, has an appreciation for all that we're taking in through the media and the news. Uh, we're a much smaller world than we once thought we were. And so there are many different things that are happening globally. And uh, we can see different things, whether it's military incursions or terrorism or even uh, economic warfare that we're seeing being done. My thoughts, though, in the practical ways of how to be peacemakers doesn't start with the global, it starts with the micro. And so it begins with us within our own selves. And if we learn to love ourselves the way that God has loved us, and until we understand that, it's going to be very difficult for us to love others in the same way. So it begins with looking in the mirror and asking the, the one who created us for forgiveness and coming to a faith in him, uh, total dependence, knowing that he is the one, he is the author and perfecter of our faith, who can actually uh, make peace within our lives before we can actually help make peace outside of ourselves. And from there, it just goes further into our spheres of influence, whether it's our household, into our community, our places where we work or play. Um, it has to begin within ourselves first. So that's the number one. Yeah, I really appreciate that answer and also this morning in your teaching how you, you highlighted some of that and wove that into how you see that as part of that sort of third way radical reformation. And I know I've mentioned this before to people that nobody wants to live in a war zone. When it comes right down to it, whether you're um, just peacemaking or people that would see sort of the um, just war or a biblical based peacemaking or a biblical pacifism as it were, that nobody wants to live in a war zone, even those that go and fight wars, they want to end in so I love how in our families, and our marriages, with our children, with our church, with our neighbors, um, it's, yeah, it's good stuff. So I appreciate the, the word pacifism and the fact that we are uh, against shooting another person, taking another life for a cause. Uh, but we like to even think of one step bigger than that, which is nonviolence. Mm -hmm. And even one step, make, uh, one step even broader than that, which is peacemaking. And so... Uh, Proactive. I, being proactive, which it doesn't mean you're sitting back. It's in fact waging peace is, is, is a very active thing to do. It's easy to think a retort back to someone who has insulted you in some way or uh, wants to engage in a way of debate that could be very um, uh, unsettling. And so our, our human nature is to uh, lash back or to have a knee-jerk reaction 
And I think the third way is inviting us to think otherwise. Instead of uh, looking at the other as an enemy and someone to overcome and to, to defeat, uh, it's actually welcoming someone to create space for dialogue, even to disagree and yet remain friends or remain uh, in a place where we can continue to exchange ideas and learn from one another, and especially when we have differing perspectives, which can actually grow us and stretch us in the best possible ways rather than pull us apart. And the New Testament's full of it too. Like Matthew 18 says, if your neighbor has an offense against you, your brother has an offense against go to them. Like be proactive too. Like it's Jesus, it's Jesus 101, right? To like yes. engage instead of isolate or, yeah, or run from the situation. Um, let's go to the next question if we have more. Uh, I don't know if we're, are you sending in questions? No, I'm trying to look to the table. We got a queue of questions. Okay, I'm getting head nods from uh, Charmaine there. Uh, what would a third way approach be to interpret deal with violent images of God in the Old Testament? Oh, there we go. That's like, that's one of the biggest questions out there. And uh, yeah, that's, there, there are many approaches. I'd be curious to hear though what our guest has to say about this one because I'm sure he <laughs> solved spot. it all in his 20 years of ministry. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> approach to interpreting or dealing with violent images of God in the Old Testament. Well, there is a number of different things and I would direct you to Elmer Martin's uh, book, uh, God's Design. Can you say that name again? The Elmer Martins. He is, uh, he's now passed on. He's in glory. But he is a former professor uh, at the Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary. Elmer Martins, uh, his book, God's Design. It's a widely used text. And it talks about uh, a number of different things. And uh, uh, we oftentimes get into uh, a false dichotomy of thinking that, you know, the Old Testament God is uh, the one who is a God of wrath and uh, the New Testament God is Jesus Christ filled with grace, whereas that is actually somewhat heretical because we're splitting God up again, mm -hmm. making him more like us when he is actually one. And so we need to remember that God is the Father, but he's also the Son, and he's also the Holy Spirit who was sent to us to indwell us when Jesus left and was ascended after his crucifixion and resurrection. And so what we see as uh, violence uh, can also be interpreted as justice and uh, dealing with sin. Uh, what we see as grace is the other side of that. It's a two-edged sword. And so uh, justice and love and grace are both sides. And so one of those things is we have to hold those in tension. Uh, it's not an either an, uh, or, it's, an, it's a both and. And so um, the, the God who uh, loves creation also has to deal with sin. And as we read in the text, that sin leads to ultimate separation from God and death. And so uh, that is what's so complex about this. Um, uh, there was violence in the first book, which was uh, Genesis. And how did God deal with uh, sin? Well, there was a sacrifice that was made, something had to die. And there was a first sacrifice in which uh, something had to pay for those, the sin of humankind. And so uh, uh, Adam and Eve got to leave that garden with the reminders, they were clothed. Things weren't the same afterwards. And, uh, and we'll, we'll stop there. Yeah, so. yeah there's, a, I mean, just a lot of thoughts come to mind with that question too. Uh, you know, there are, even in the Anabaptist world or, or Anabaptist Jesus-y types as well, there's some, at least traditionally, that affirm the idea of God's ultimate justice and, and sort of that um, calling to account. 
but they left it to God, so they felt like, well, we don't have to be the ones that execute that. We leave that, that, that ultimate justice to the Lord. Um, and I'd say more modern have also wrestled in some of the ancient church fathers, too, about that some of those images um, may actually be human projections onto God and that God is condescending and taking that on. There's a great book. Um, I want to throw out two, more other, two other books there. One is called um, uh, the... Uh, Oh, what's it called? The Crucifixion of the Warrior God by a guy named Greg Boyd. He has a great wrestling, very interesting theology, lots of debate around that. Um, and another book that really helped me in terms of embracing this idea that justice matters and that consequence matters is a guy named Miroslav Wolf wrote mm-hmm. a book called Exclusion and Embrace, and he really wrestles with mm-hmm. this, having come from a war-torn country and, and how we have to be careful it's particularly if we haven't experienced the deep evils of war or that level of violence about excluding God's justice. And so I think all of those would give different angles on this as well, but um, that's and great. I, and I don't want to sound like I'm avoiding your question because God does work in yeah. all ma- facets of our human life. Let's not forget that uh, Cornelius was uh, a soldier who came yeah. to Christ and God used him in a very subversive way as uh, a soldier within the Roman army. And so uh, as peacemakers, as people who are called to continue to live this third way, um, I personally wouldn't sign up uh, and enlist. However, I'm not going to also um, uh, point fingers and say to my brothers and sisters who have enlisted that they're sinning. Uh, I would say that God is going to be using them in their way uh, to be incarnational in the way that God has called them with their vocational now, I just don't agree with uh, the military, but at the same time, your and my taxes go to support the security of our country and our interests. So it's a very complex, very, uh, we can't sloganize, we can't uh, minimize, and we can't just uh, bring it down and over simplify that, uh, that kind of uh, question. So pastor friend of mine, uh, we've been trying to, as we do live stream, obviously Q&A, we're going to go longer, but we've been shortening up. But a friend of mine who also is a, an NAB pastor, uh, a very charismatic guy, he said, because now we're live streaming, he goes longer because there's no limits. Like there's, it's just us and the production team. So we could spend the next three hours teasing out all of these threads on that question. I'm just kidding. We won't do that. We won't do that, everybody. Um, so let's go to another question. Do we have a few more? All right, here's another. What does it look like to live a life in such a way that people see the gospel or Jesus through you? What does it look like to live a life in such a way that people see the gospel and Jesus through you? What are your, what are your best thoughts on well, that Well, one? one of my favorite ones, and many people have, would be familiar with that, would be the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. In all your ways, uh, preach the gospel, and if needs be, use words. So what does that look like when you're loving your neighbor as you love yourself? How would you treat yourself the best way? Let's treat our neighbors the same way. Uh, one of those uh, very uh, real things would be life on our block. And so during this COVID crisis right now, uh, we are helping uh, buy groceries for some of our elderly neighbors who we would hate to see come to harm through COVID-19. And so when we go on a shopping run, we ask them, um, hey, can we pick up some groceries? What would that grocery list look like for you? And I'm sure some of you are doing that as well, but that's just one very practical way to allow people to see the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ living through us. It's being a good neighbor. And so uh, at, the, at, the, at risk of uh, not sharing who Jesus is through that, you need to just, first of all, 
do acts of kindness that catch the attention of people. And why do you do that? Is it so you can have this pet project to lead someone to Christ? No, it's because it is an articulation of a living out of who you are, and that who you are just spills out. And so uh, it goes into think, just practical ways of thinking of others before oneself. I think I'm going to leave it at that on that question. So we're going to do a few more questions here. Are you okay with a few more? Absolutely. Take okay. as long as you want. All right. Um, okay, so with quarantine in effect and Bible colleges closed for the meantime, how can I start my journey in study of theology and ministry? Uh, give yeah. me a second to take any time you need, by the way, to, to breathe. And um, I think that's a great question. Right now, uh, many things are going online. If you want to start your journey in study of theology, uh, you can go online. But let's just be very plain and simple. Let's just start with the Bible. Start reading. If you haven't started reading the Bible, and if you don't have a rhythm of Bible reading in your life, you need to start there. Uh, I believe that God speaks to me through reading of the word. It never comes back empty. Uh, he is always tooling me, and he's always giving me um, wisdom for the day, uh, because you know what? When I begin my day, I need to be in the word, because even as I wake up, maybe on the wrong side of the bed, I'm needing to be reminded of whose I am and who I represent as one of his heralds and one of his ambassadors. So uh, I would say start your journey of your study of theology, which is just the study of who God is um, and uh, his creation. Start with the word of God. Start in the Bible. Start reading it. And if you don't have questions, uh, start asking yourself, you know, what, are, what am I learning? And uh, go from there. I've got to put in a shameless plug for the North American Baptist Seminaries, uh, Taylor Seminary in Edmonton and also Sioux Falls Seminary. Uh, they've joined together, in fact. They're, they're, they're merging. They're keeping a campus in Edmonton in Canada and also in the States in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And they have developed a program uh, using the Greek word kairos, but this idea of the whole uh, program can be done in your context. And they've broken the MDiv degree or a master's in theology degree down to multiple targets and main outcomes around, uh, it's called competency-based theological education. They're also exploring starting an undergraduate degree back up, which they used to have at Taylor, and then they don't anymore. But now with the merger, they're looking at starting that again. So depending if you have an undergraduate degree or you don't, uh, check out Taylor Seminary and Sioux Falls Seminary Kairos program. Um, there's my shameless plug. I also uh, help some students out and involved as, a, as an affiliate and an adjunct faculty in the past. So there's my shameless plug. Let's go to the next question. <laughs> you didn't let me do a shameless plug. Oh, <laughs> I think we already got the MB. Yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. You have one? Yeah, I'm an alumni of uh, MB, the Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary. Oh, there you so go. Okay. Our campus is on uh, Trinity Western University campus in the consortium called ACTS, the Associated uh, Christian theological schools, and so uh, go on there. And how a, far Trinity is it? Where in Ch Chilliwack? No, Trinity is at Lang in Langley. Langley. Yeah. So it's almost as far as Edmonton. So <laughs> much closer. <laughs> Just kidding. I joke about if I have to cross Boundary Road or a river, I'm you know I'm going out to the boonies of BC. So uh, I live right here in South Van. Okay, so let's talk about this. Uh, you had brought this up in your message today, and it says the Bible says to forgive seventy-seven times seven. Uh, I can't, it's chopped off. What if it's word. taking a toll on my mental health? Uh, what if it's taking a toll on my mental health? There we go. What if it's taking a toll on my mental health? Uh, that's uh, a good question. Now, I'd have to parse that question out to mean 
to, to ask what you mean by that, because uh, forgiveness is something that is intended to be freeing. And if we're holding on to something and we're continually having to forgive someone, um, I, I'm, I think what it means is we're not doing a, num a number of things. Uh, first of all, what does it mean to forgive? And uh, when we forgive, we are not forgetting. Uh, we're not excusing, but we're actually uh, allowing the, the peace of God to infiltrate our hearts and our minds to let go. It's kind of like having a clenched fist. And when you have a clenched fist, you're ready to fight back. And if you want to uh, humor me on this, just hold that clenched fist as long as you can. And I would dare say it, it, it becomes quite difficult after some time. But when you let go, you can feel the circulation come back. And our hearts and our minds are somewhat similar in that respect. Uh, we need to let go of things that cause us harm. And that includes people who have crossed our paths that have done us harm. Uh, the Bible calls us to forgive continuously. And so uh, what that means is, A, we need to forgive ourselves. B, we need to continue to forgive that other person who, or that other, uh, those other people who have harmed us. And that also means being wise. And so not re-entering those same situations over and over again. Now I understand sometimes there are situations that are hard to escape from. And so if you are trapped in an abusive relationship, uh, there's help for you. Uh, forgiveness is part of that, but God commands us to forgive not as a legalism, but as a way of inviting us to living a fuller life. It's supposed to be a way of health. Uh, it's part of God's design. Not one to shame you, not one to make you feel like you are not holding your uh, part of the bargain up, but it is something that is supposed to free us, not enslave us. So friend, if you are struggling with forgiveness, uh, and if anything I've I said uh, has had an impact or helped you, uh, uh, that, may that be God's blessing. If it hasn't, uh, I don't know if uh, Pastor Shell can help you more, or if you need maybe some counseling, uh, or maybe even uh, the growing of good boundaries. Uh, those are helpful for us as we seek forgiveness. So I think there's a couple things that come to mind too as you're, as you're speaking. Um, I think in Scripture there is a clear difference uh, between forgiveness, which I think first and foremost is like between us and God regarding that situation and then releasing that person sort of yeah. from our need to judge them. But that's kind of what you're saying with boundaries. It's not the same as reconciliation. Like forgiveness no. doesn't restore the relationship. No. It's sort of a... Like, unless that person or that situation also deals with the material or relational harm, uh, there, there, may, there may be reconciliation, or there may be forgiveness on my part, but there might not be reconciliation until there's actual working with the real harm uh, and dealing with that. And if, and if that other party isn't willing to go there, then sometimes forgiveness and enforcing a strong boundary yeah. is, uh, is really important. Maybe you want to add to that or you have well, thoughts God, on that? Yeah, absolutely. God has not commanded us to be reconciled. Reconciliation is a byproduct of forgiveness. God has called us as Christ followers to forgive, not to reconcile. Think about that for a minute. Reconciliation is impossible unless you have both parties willing to forgive one another. And so reconciliation is actually the fruit of the exercise of forgiveness. Now. Uh, sometimes we have to forgive 77 times 7 because the other party 
isn't willing to go there. And so uh, reconciliation is obviously not going to happen or it's, not, it's a very far possibility. And so at that point, for your own health, your mental health, you will need, I think, as Pastor Shell has said, to draw those boundaries for your own mental health. Uh, and I think that's being wise. Uh, you want to be innocent as a dove, but wise as a serpent too. I think there's, uh, if I had to recommend a ministry resource, if you really want to dig into biblical principles of forgiveness and reconciliation and a proper apology, what that looks like, um, Ken Sandy, if you Google Ken Sandy, he wrote a great book on this called The Peacemaker. And he's Presbyterian Church in America guy. Um, and very, very practical stuff. And there's a whole couple ministries that have spun off from that. And um, I forget what the name of the one is, but I can post it later in the links. But there's a website that has a bunch of resources on what does it mean to be a personal peacemaker. We have some of those, even some of their brochures in our foyer here. Um, but yeah, thank you. Uh, let's do, let's say one more. How many, I'm looking at our guys in the back. How many questions do we have? Okay. Should we do one or, one or two more? Sure. How are you feeling? Totally fine. Okay. Yep. We gave him coffee on the way in, so... <laughs> All right, uh, let's, do, let's do this. How does the church adapt to changing social norms? Much of the Old Testament is relevant to the norms at the time. Should we adapt our views to today's or risk becoming irrelevant and leaving people out? Well, there's a complex question. There's a bunch of, um, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, how does the church, I'm going to read it one more time to uh, give David time to get his, his uh, answer all wound up here. Uh, how does the church adapt to changing social norms? Much of the Old Testament is relevant to the norms at the time. Should we adapt our views to today's or risk becoming irrelevant and leaving people out? There's a bunch of sections in that. I don't know if you want to just go to the main question. or yeah, how So just you... don't, don't change that question on me because I can just then parse that out and deal with it in different parts here. How does the church adapt to changing social norms? And I can imagine uh, what you're talking about. Uh, our society is continually uh, changing and it will continue to evolve socially as uh, different interests uh, make their way through the headlines and through our lifestyles. Uh, God has uh, said a number of things uh, with respect to that, but one of the things I need to go back is understanding that we are a follower of Jesus. Again, we are God-fearers. We are people who claim to worship a God who is unchanging. And yet he's called us to be uh, like-minded. He's called us to live in step with him. And so this is the complex part for us as the church. And I, I can recognize the complexity of this question. I think that there is a form and that there is a function for the church. Uh, the forms can shift. Uh, we've had churches meeting in homes. That's how the first early church began meeting. We have had uh, meetings in giant cathedrals as the church has grown throughout the ages. And interestingly enough, even today, we're meeting once again in our own homes as we're practicing self-isolation. And so the church can adapt in many different ways. Does it change though uh, with the changing of society? Uh, the funny thing is human nature hasn't really changed since the beginning of time. There's nothing new under the sun and God has called us to be the light in a place of darkness, if you read uh, continuing in John 1. Uh, and so we're called to be that light, that city on a hill, if you can picture with me uh, a place of darkness. A city on the hill, when it's lit up, is quite, uh, quite visible. And why is that? Because it's uh, known for a number of different things. What the church needs to be known for isn't its judgmentalism. 
And that is an error, that is a sinful thing that our church has earned the uh, ill repute for. Uh, what the church needs to be known, though, is it's a place, it's a gathering of people called out to be people of grace and love. And so uh, if we're called to be people of grace and love, that can have a serious impact on our society and the social norms of the day. And so why are people reacting to the church, especially from certain communities, the way that they are is because there's perceived threat. There is uh, past sins from the church, uh, judgmentalism and even antagonism. Uh, we need to be better as the church today. And we need to uh, continue to preach and live out and extend a grace the way God's called us to do and to love the sinner in all respects because we need to also recognize that we're part of that. Much of the Old Testament is relevant to the norms at that time. Should we adapt our views to today's or risk becoming irrelevant I think we risk becoming irrelevant by being judgmental and by loving the way God has loved and the way that Jesus has shown us how to love. Uh, let's remember that he was accused by the religious elite for hanging out with uh, the most ill-reputed people of his day. That didn't just include the uh, prostitutes and uh, the drug dealers and the... Uh, the shady, greasy uh, con men of his day. Uh, that included uh, all sorts of people from all stripes of life. And so uh, that has not changed for the church. We are called to live and share grace with all of those people. You know, I think one of the things too that as I'm reading the question and hearing uh, uh, as you're responding too, uh, I think there's something the church has to has to recapture sort of vision for Christ, like as you're talking about his life, how he did ministry, yeah. the words he said and how he embodied it, yeah. um, and that he was he demonstrated for us the spirit-filled humanity also. Like the, I like how Luke just emphasizes again and again the spirit-filled Christ, um, that that which is in you needs to be more alive, needs to be more um, full of the fullness of God's life when you engage in culture. And I think when we don't have that sort of that relationship where we're opening ourselves to the spirit-filled life more, um, we become irrelevant on a couple levels. We become irrelevant because we're so much like the culture. Yeah. There's nothing that's attractive about yeah. a different life. And on the other hand, we become irrelevant because we don't even we don't even know what we're talking about because we're not yeah. living into that that sense of the live Christ, the living Christ by the Holy Spirit yeah. in us. Um, things that come to mind. And I also thought like that middle section bothers me, right? Like much of the Old Testament is relevant to the norms at the time. And I think yes and no, because the children of Israel were constantly sort of uh, rejecting that. They were constantly running after the gods of the nations around them, as it were. And so it's funny that tension, I think, is also chock full in the New Testament between the cultures and what, what the sense of God's revelation was for the, the people of Israel. But I'm told we want to do one more question, so I'm going to... Sure, but can we, can we bounce just one more thing off of that one question? Uh, just You're to, the guest. How can I say no? Great. <laughs> <laughs> We're being invited right now every night as you watch television as the church to be very and fully involved in our community. Every day we get a ministry report from the Ministry of Health and Adrian Dix, the Honorable Adrian Dix, has called us to love. Dr. Bonnie Henry, our top doctor for our province, has 
invited us to not only stay safe, but to treat each other well. Friends, this is an open invitation for the church to live out its call. Yeah. Uh, to be Jesus-centered, and that means to love God with all that we are, all that we have, and all who we are, but also to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Friends, what an opportunity for us to make a difference as we uh, walk and uh, physically distance ourselves. I hate that word, socially distance, but um, we are intended to physically distance ourselves and yet continue the socializing yeah. as uh, a community. We need one another. We continue to hear over the airwaves that we're in this together, and it's true. Friends, we are in this bread together as a society, but we are the leaven in the bread. We are the yeast called, we're the salt and the light. Let's live into those images that uh, the Bible calls us to be. So let me ask you uh, a final sort of serious question here. What are three of your favorite foods? Only three. I, I am Okay, well, yeah, go, go, go on. A, when it comes to food, I'm, I'm, I'm more of an Epicurean. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a fourth-generation Chinese person, so I was raised with a lot of Chinese food. And so Chinese food, uh, and there's many different kinds, as you well know, for those of us who are familiar with it, there's many different areas of China, and so different kinds of Chinese food. So that's a very difficult thing for me to answer. Well, I gave you three. I mean, you can... So let's say I like... Comfort food during quarantine. Comfort food during quarantine. My family would say, I love my mom's turkey soup. Oh, okay. uh, and so it's a, it's a hybrid of, she was born in China, but was raised in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a Caribbean island in That uh, sounds like a Central great America. fusion food. And then I was raised in Canada, so there's a soup element, there's a turkey element that harkens back to North America, but there is uh, then the noodle and the dropped egg and, and all the vegetables that, that go into it, that's the Chinese element. So that's my comfort food, is, is soup. But I love juk. A good juk is good, which is a rice congee. It's a rice soup. And some of you might be crinkling your nose, but some of us might be already just thinking about that, making us just <laughs> drool. Uh, so um, with, uh, with what we would call a Chinese donut called yao jiao guai, and it's clipped up into that. So that's my favorite, okay? That's like your go-to. Everyone I can see already are just drooling, ready for some <laughs> dim sum. So dim sum would be probably on the top of that list, okay? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But having said that, I really love pork ribs. Today is my birthday, so my family's getting ready oh, yes. to... Oh, uh, yes. Happy, happy birthday, by you. the way. We're getting ready to have uh, pork dinner tonight, so that's on my Okay, on my all right. So that, there we go. And, uh, you know, uh, I hated sandwiches growing up. My mom, sorry, mom, I love you, but... Uh, is she watching, you think? No, she is not, okay, but okay. she might tune in uh, in the recording. And, you know, when we grew up, her sandwich consisted of a piece of bread and then one slice of uh, deli ham and then another piece of bread. Maybe, if I was lucky, I got a little bit of butter. So I hated sandwiches until I got <laughs> married. And my wife is uh, from uh, Mennonite Brethren Extraction, so oh, okay. she is a mix of German, Russian, Dutch, and uh, English, Irish. And uh, I, I learned what a sandwich was oh. after getting married to her. <laughs> and so, you know, a really good, you know, BLT, oh my goodness, that is something else. So, you know, uh, I, I love all kinds of food. There's not much food that I would okay. say no to. Now, in fairness, I did not warn him I was going to ask that question, but it's a, it's a good question to sort of hear more about. Sure, you know. I, I'll quote my dad. I love seafood. Whatever I see. Oh, yeah, I yeah. That's such a, that is a dad joke right there. Totally. Like that whole totally. phrase. Two and yeah, one seafood. Right there. Okay, okay. Well, David, thank you again so much for yep. joining us here at Pilgrim and our live stream. 
And uh, we're obviously experimenting this uh, with this as well, and we're learning along the way. So again, thank you for jumping in as our first guest on live stream. We have another guest scheduled next month, so you've broken the ice. You have, you have, you have the, you know, calmed the waters and uh, walking on the water as well. <laughs> Hopefully I've stirred some too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, that's part of We love Q&A. And again, you know, if you have follow-up questions, you can email us. I want to, before we sign off this morning, just tell you a few things. Um, how to connect at Pilgrim Church. You can do that online. Uh, if you look at the bottom of that YouTube channel or on Facebook or however you're finding this this morning, there are, uh, there's an email address or there's a web address you can click to uh, sign up with your email to begin getting our weekly updates from the church and what's going on here at Pilgrim. We also encourage you to jump into a home church as well where we discuss our teaching on Sunday morning and we go deeper. And that's super important to discern. We wrestle with that, with uh, both the passages that may have been read and also some of the, the teaching. Um, what did you agree with? What did you disagree with? How, so what's the difference Jesus is going to make in your daily life? We go through that in home church as well throughout the week. And we have several that meet uh, now online via Zoom or Google Hangouts meet or meeting to go. Uh, but if you want more information, email the church and we will connect you with a home church. I think finally, I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you to David. Uh, we, we got a few people in the room, but we'll uh, thank you, sir. And uh, yeah, and he's a pastor of a great church here in South Van. Of course, we invite you to Pilgrim, but if you're also looking for a home church, please check out Killarney Park MB Church. It's in the Killarney Park area of Vancouver, uh, sort of in the same south section of town, uh, but farther east from where we are. And so again, thank you for being here this morning. God bless. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we uh, will talk to you later. I will be, in just a few minutes, uh, going to my office, and we'll be in a Google Meet room. Uh, that information was also sent out to you if you want to just check in. We're calling it the ketchup, you know. Uh, imagine a bottle of ketchup, but it's just a short foyer conversation time if you want to say hi to people this morning, and I'll be there as well. So let's pray, and we'll wrap it this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the midst of this time across the world and through your church. Lord, we thank you that uh, we, there are many local churches in Vancouver making an impact for your kingdom. We pray blessings upon Killarney Park, uh, Pilgrim, and all of the congregations uh, of this city. And Lord, we also ask today that as we wrestle with what does it mean to lean into a Jesus-shaped approach uh, to this faith, which should be obvious, and yet oftentimes we need to be called back to that Jesus-centered. And as we wrestle with that as a local church, uh, guide us, Lord, and give us your wisdom. Help us to have the mind of Christ that it would be richly within us as well, and then shape our daily lives. So God, send us out today, or send us, well, what out may mean to our, our kitchen, it may mean to the to washroom, but Send us from this time of gathering together with your blessing and awareness. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you're willing to say amen, amen. thank you and God bless.